welcome to another episode of Halftime Talks. Um, today I'm very excited to introduce our guest who was actually born right here in Burnley. Uh, she played professionally for Liverpool and Everton. She secured over 80 caps for the England women's football team and also represented Great Britain in the 2012 Olympics. Following a great career in football, which also saw her play professionally overseas in Europe and the United States, Today, you may recognise her in the media, appearing on the BBC and BT Sports coverage of the Women's Super League. I am very, very pleased to welcome today Rachel Brown-Finnis to the show. Rachel, how are you? Hi, Lola. Pleased to meet you. Yeah, very well. Just fresh off of the school run uh, this morning. <laughs> so uh, all, all settled now in the house, thanks. Good, good, good. So, you know, obviously where you're from, where you were born was in Burnley. And I guess that's probably where we should begin. Um, for people that have probably never been to Burnley or don't know much about Burnley, can you just kind of describe what it was like for you growing up in Burnley and what kind of the football scene was like for you um, at a young age? Yeah, um, my mum and dad uh, still live in Burnley. My older brother and his family still live in Burnley. So it's not like we, you know, touched base and then, you know, we're, we're kind of very much afar from it now. It's very much a heart of, of where our family is. And uh, and growing up there, just on on Tomberdon Road, uh, right by Townley Park, just up from Turf Moor, um, I remember very fondly spending most of my, you know, any any sort of daylight hours was in Townley Park, kicking a football around, playing with my friends, and it's where I got kind of the first chance to play in a school team. Um, went to St Stephen's Primary School, uh, which is just off Tomberdon Road, and. Um, I remember my first ever game actually I went to watch uh, was at Wembley. So it was when Burnley played against Wolves in the Sherpa Van Trophy final. So when we were lingering down, I think in Division 2 probably. Um, and we just went down as a family. I was only eight and my younger brother was six and went down on the train, enjoyed everything about that day. Uh, absolutely loved and was spellbound really by the atmosphere at Wembley I think you know that yeah. if you've ever walked down Wembley way on a on a match day it's buzzing it's electric it's uh it's just everything every sensory kind of component to that day I think is what got me hooked on football and uh, and from that moment I just decided you know that I wanted to be involved in it and uh being at St Stephen's Primary School after uh, after a few kind of prompts and um, discussions with my mum and dad and the, and the PE teacher uh, they finally they let me join in with boys PE which generally was football and uh, down on the playing fields and yeah. uh, and I took that opportunity after diving around in the playground for, for quite a long period of time and <laughs> showing my enthusiasm for the sport and uh, I got the chance to play in the school team and and so and I've never looked back didn't bother me that there were it wasn't a girls team or there wasn't an opportunity for a girls team it was just football yeah. uh, and I didn't see it as girls and boys it was just a you know I was a footballer simple as that and uh, I think that's probably was a is was and still is a really healthy attitude is that you know it's not male it's not female it's just it's a sport that everyone can be involved in so I was you know I enjoyed my time playing mixed football and um, played for a Sunday league team as well uh, Bankall United yeah. um, and you know I was there was never I don't ever remember there being a time when someone questioned why I was playing you know because I was a girl because I was the only girl in all the teams I played in uh, until I went to um, I went to secondary school in Accrington St Christopher's and uh, we couldn't play mixed football so then that was the sort of 
it was uh, trying to find a team that I could play in. And, and that's when I joined Accrington Stanley Women, um, age 12, uh, playing against fully, you know, fully grown women was a bit of a being thrown at the deep end. Um, and But yeah, everything about the town has always, in my travels, as you said, I went to America when I was 18 on a football scholarship. Uh, when I played before that, joined Liverpool at 15 and played in the FA Cup final at 15. Um, Burnley and Burn- the Burnley Express is like a local newspaper, uh, have followed me all around the world and have always kind of, it's always gone back to Burnley and it's been wonderful wherever I've been in the world, uh, people of Burnley sort of taking note of, of my progress and development. And I feel, you know, we are like one big family. Um, yeah. And I, I feel that every time I, I come back to Burnley, every time I come over and play golf at Townley, uh, which uh, where I'm a member at there and catching up with all the ladies there, it is, you know, you never, never leave Burnley uh, wholeheartedly, whether I'm physically not there because uh, I live in Liverpool now. Um, I It's been something that always draws me back and I'm very proud of not just the people of Burnley, but obviously the progress of Burnley Football Club. I've never, never lost track of uh, of what they've been up to wherever I've been in the world. That's awesome. And, and I, there's just so much in there that I resonate with. I think for somebody who has recently relocated to Burnley, it's been just that kind of family, community feel the football club really is the centre of this town and football means so much to everybody. And and I love the fact that you explore that and say, you know, it is a game for everyone and that's one club for all. That's that's kind of our ethos, that's what we want. And we want to encourage everyone to be able to have, to have access to the game. And you've spoken a bit about your early memories and kind of, of growing up and what it was like playing football. And I just wanted to kind of transition. You mentioned like you, some of your, your highlights at 15 kind of, getting and stepping up into into senior football and how much that must have been an experience at that age. In addition, what are the other kind of highlights? I know you've been in a lot of finals and, and you've represented the country. What what kind of highlights of your career um, mean mean the most to you? I'm sure there's so many, but what what ones kind of spring to mind are top top three? I think um, playing when I got the chance to be in the um, Olympic team and when we Obviously, we only had an Olympic team because we were hosting it. Uh, and if you sort of reflect kind of a little bit philosophically, uh, that was the first ever women's GB team we'd had for football. Uh, yep. for, for me to have made that squad of 18, um, that it, just all the stars aligned really for it to be that time, for me to be available, fit, on it, selected. Uh, when we played... Uh, was amazing initially and then to see the buzz around women's football was was unbelievable uh and then to stand at Wembley uh in 2012 and it, it'd be pretty much 25 years after that first experience of going to Wembley as a young child and you know feeling exactly the same emotion uh buzz around the game excitement but then to kind of reflect that in that 25 years where women's football was it would yep. never have played at Wembley. Nobody knew it was on TV to then be at Wembley in front of 70-odd thousand fans all shouting for us as Team GB. That was a really kind of poignant memory for me uh, of my individual journey, of the the sort of highs and the lows, the, 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 the geographical journeys I've been on all around the world, the injuries that I'd kind of overcome to be able to be there. Uh, so from a personal point of view, 
I, I felt that was almost like a, a reward pretty much at the end of my career uh, yeah. to, to be there at that moment in time for such a significant moment for women's football. And then, you know, from a collective point of view and that overall journey of women's football, where it had come to uh, in that 25-year journey that I'd been on, seeing and feeling and being a part of that development, that was a really, probably the proudest moment of my life in football, um, to, right. to, to be there and, and feel the love, really, for women's football, uh, to see it on TV, for us to be household names, uh and, you know, that's continued to de- develop really from that moment on. That was a, a really significant platform for women's football was the Olympics. Um, yeah. And so I would say that certainly was the highlight um, for for probably all of us involved in that 2012 squad. It was something we didn't expect to happen. It did happen. And it was probably bigger and more monumental than you, we could have expected. Uh, and I do remember when we got to the Olympic Village, Dame Kelly Holmes, who was someone I was like, wow, yeah. um, introduced us into the is us, the women's squad and the men's squad all in kind of one little classroom together. And obviously we didn't, well, we didn't really get to have ever met the men's team because they were sort of uh, on another level. Uh, and so it was the likes of Ryan Giggs and Craig Bellamy and, you know, seasoned internationals as well as people like Mika Richards Uh and, you know, she said, now you're here. She said, whether you win a medal or not, you are and you always will be Olympians. And I remember just the kind of all the, the feeling that that gave me was just something I could never have expected and never thought it would kind of evoke such a, an emotional response. I suppose I'd grown up watching the likes of Kelly Holmes and Linford Christie and uh, Jonathan Edwards, all those sort of iconic British sports people. And to really think, wow, I'm in the same category as them. I'm an Olympian. Um, that was, and why it makes that moment and why I've chosen that as my, my top kind of moment in football um, was was being part of that Team GB in 2012. Yeah, and I think for the, the country in general, just hosting the Olympics, um, having access to watching the games on our doorstep, football included, was just such a big moment for the country, a big moment for women's football. It was on TV, we were able to go to Wembley, we were able to watch it. I think it just brought the sport to so many more viewers. And I think when you talk about, you know, the transition from where you were when you first started to to where you are now, I think you're in a good position to see what those changes have been, how beneficial those changes have been. I've felt all of those changes, you know, from from going to England camps and, uh, it, you know, training twice a week, going into England camps and being hand, kind of given men's kit and hand-me-down kit uh, as an England yeah. player to then having your first ever full-time coach, Hope Powell, come in and, and really kind of push for change within the FA uh, yeah. to then... Uh, to qualify for our first World Cup in 2007 um, to then getting central contracts which meant ultimately that we could train on a regular on a daily basis to having yeah. our first ever sports scientist which meant we kind of had all the underpinning sports science programs uh, in addition to the technical and tactical stuff all of those changes to what we see now a fully professional domestic league in the Women's Super League and rather than being women's football being a novelty to be seen on TV it's something of a staple. Uh, it's yeah. something we expect to see on our TVs week in, week out, to have roundup programmes, to have equivalent match of the days. Uh, yeah. And people, you know, I think now would, if they didn't see it on TV, would question why not. So 
it is a huge journey that it's been on uh, and I'm really proud of, of where it is today. Great. And you mentioned that word journey and I think it's important because there is still more that can be done. There's still more that we can build on. It's it's obviously taking off its its own shape and you say, you know, now it's an expectation. It's an expectation that a lot of the Premier League clubs have a women's team and there, there would be questions if not. In terms of when we're looking into the future and additional changes, what, what kind of things do you think you would want to see or hope to see to continue the journey and to further develop? Are there things that perhaps in your opinion you you would like to see or or would, would envision for future players, for example? Uh, well, I think uh, as a club's responsibility, whether, because currently the FA still uh, hold all the licensing for the Women's Super League uh, and there's been talks of whether the Premier League would take that over. Uh, there's pros and cons, I'm sure, to both um, kind of models in that respect. Um, and the FA have put so much money and resources into developing both international football, uh, women's football, as well as the domestic league. I mean, the Women's Super League didn't exist 10 years ago, simple as that. And the FA yeah. have put resources in to make that happen. And it's only relatively recently that there's almost a consensus across Premier League clubs and professional clubs, uh, men's clubs, to have a women's team. Um, and what we see works best, you look at Manchester City, you look at Chelsea, you look at Arsenal as, uh, as kind of... Uh, um, as almost blueprints of what you can do. Uh, it works best when the women's club come under the, the men's the men's club, simple as that. They have access yeah. to the resources, the infrastructure that's been in place for such a long time in the men's clubs, uh, that if you try and build that on the side uh, and start again for the women's clubs, um, it's, it seems pretty inefficient. So to have them under the same umbrella, um, Certainly, in my experience, it works better. You feel valued more as a player as well if you are in the same infrastructure as the men's club. Uh, and also, it, I think you, you do have to realise, though, as a football club, that women's footballers and women's football fans are not necessarily exactly the same as men's footballers and men's football fans. There are yeah. very different pointers, very different mar marketing strategies that clubs need to employ to to maximise the fan base, as an example, yeah. Um, yeah. for women's football. I know now I've got two kids. I would absolutely much rather take my kids, uh, having had Wembley experiences, going to watch the men's Euros uh, this summer. Uh, I would not take my kids to go and watch a men's England game at Wembley. Simple as that. Um, but a few weeks later, I went and took my kids to watch the women's England game at Wembley and it was the best experience that the kids had had in football. Um, yeah. It felt safe. It was very familial. Uh, it was just a pure joy. It's what everybody starts watching football for. Uh, it's to enjoy it. It's to wave the flag, to sing the songs, but to feel safe yeah. at the same time. So there are differences between men's and women's football on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, the demographic of who watches women's football isn't exactly the same. So you just have to be clever, I think, when you're marketing women's football. When you go to marketing women's footballers, you, I mean, there's endless possibilities. Uh, I think football clubs and the infrastructure of football, not just men's or women's, but football, realise now the benefit of having female icons, uh, yeah. footballers as icons, because we are generally very positive role models. And I'm not saying the men are not. I'm just saying that before they might not have recognised that they are iconic um 
role models for young, not just girls, but young girls and boys growing up. Yeah. I think yeah. to recognise that there are strong females out there in the world, uh, both physically strong, but mentally strong, uh, and all the char- characteristics that make up a strong person, uh, you've got in a in a lot of female footballers and female athletes. Uh, and to use those to, as we do, as we have done for years uh, with men, male footballers, let's get them commercialised um, and utilised <clears throat> to the strengths to, to both benefit the players, but to benefit the clubs as well and to, to benefit the whole of the football in- infrastructure and industry. And I think, you know, certain brands are coming on board and recognising that. Uh, and I know that you've got TikTok on board as, as one of your commercial brands, which I think is fantastic. Because yeah. again, you look at the makeup of women's football fans, generally they're younger, they're, you know, they're teenagers, uh, whether they're girls or boys, uh, and that's what they're into. So <clears throat> yeah. talk about the blueprints of, me- of male football fans, sorry, um, football fans watching men's football, football fans watching women's football, you just got to recognise the differences. Like you say, there are there are different different angles and different approaches. Yes, the game is the same, and yes, the effort, the training, the infrastructure should be the same. But at the same time, it's not it's not a bad thing to acknowledge that there are different ways to market the game to different audiences to bring about exactly the same thing. We want more access. We want more more players playing. We want more involvement. And I think if we're strategizing in that way, um, it's only going to be more effective for everyone involved. And I think um, you know just just kind of speaking on that kind of transition and and how you know things like brand commercialization is impacting the game i also wanted to talk about alternative careers because in football whether male or female and more so in the men's game there is kind of a shelf life of how long you can play and 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 the longevity of how you are in the game it's probably a little bit slightly longer in, in the women's game but still at some stage you know you've got to then think about life outside football and i think um, a lot of people that are listening would be interested to hear about your transition life outside of football. You finished your career um, and then you've transitioned into media and punditry and, and so forth. And so I just wanted you to speak to, to how important that has been and how you navigated that and found yourself in these kind of spaces. Yeah, well, I think, you know, growing up as a <clears throat> starting to being hooked at football at a young age, there was never a prospect of being a professional footballer for me. It was not something I ever thought I wanted to be or could be. I went out basically a goalkeeper coach of mine that uh, I'd met on a goalkeeper camp down in London, which was all random kind of connections, but stayed in touch with him. I was the only girl on this goalkeeper camp, age 12, um, and stayed in touch with this guy. And a couple of years later, um, he'd said... Um, they they initially pointed me and said, look, you need to be playing for a better club, which is why I went on trial at Liverpool and got in. Uh, and after my year 11, um, my this this coach said, why don't you come and work on this goalkeeper camp out in America with me? Uh, and I was like, uh, okay, sounds great. America, yeah. goalkeeping, what's not to love about it? So I was only 15 when I flew out. It was the day after my last GCSE. Uh, and I remember just getting on an aeroplane and thinking, right, this guy called Ron's picking me up from the airport and that's all I really knew. Like, I don't know how, my mum and dad must have just been kind of, they knew how much I loved it and was set. I think once I kind of got my head on something, it was quite hard to change my my mind on things. Uh, So I went off and went on this, lived with a host family and spent my six weeks out uh, in America. 
Mm-hmm. So it's down in Alabama um, and just worked on this goalie camp. Anyway, the family I lived with had a daughter who played in a football team. So I was like, oh, well, God's training with her. Uh, so I went to training, ended up playing a couple of games and I didn't knew nothing about the the uh, university system over there. Um, there was no kind of intention to, to, to kind of further anything in my career, but coincidence happened and I got scouted, uh, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, and <laughs> sort of, I think maybe partway through my uh, second year at college, I um, got offered a scholarship to go and play out in the States. Literally a letter through the front door and I was like, what is this? University of Alabama. I was like, never heard of it. University of Miss- <laughs> Mississippi State. You know, there's a couple of unis who'd seen me play and uh, and then so the, the correspondence, you know, went kind of back and forth and kept getting letters through my door and I was like, God, like, you know, kind of realised that this could be a real opportunity. Um, yeah. And then... I, in fact, when I was uh, on this goalkeeper camp in America, uh, it happened that it was the 1996 Atlanta Games, uh, yeah. the Olympics, and the family I was staying with was like, oh, um, oh, um, we're getting, um, our our son is going to be, uh, what is it, a, a volunteer at the Olympics, do you want to do it? And I was like, um, yeah, why not? So they got me <laughs> somehow signed up, I don't know how, and I was a ball girl at one of the football games, um, Wow. I think it was it was Nigeria against I can't remember who against really? but Daniel Amakachi was playing who played for Everton and I was like I pretended to be an Everton fan even though I was playing for Liverpool and I was like <laughs> Daniel Amakachi I was like can I have your shirt please uh, and anyway it's kind of again another coincidence but I remember watching uh, the Olympics and the women's US women's national team were in it uh, and just thinking God there could be a better life for me out here with regards to pursuing football. And uh, so I thought, why not? And so I signed up for a scholarship at the University of Alabama, did my whole SAT test. It was the best of both worlds. I was going to be playing football every day and going to university. And it just wasn't an opportunity that was available in this country at the time. So took the plunge for, well, I've got on a plane on my own before to go to America. So let's let's do it again. So did that when I was 18, uh, went out to America and uh, I remember going to, so by this time, I've been been there for sort of a year, couple of years and my best mate and her family got us tickets uh, for the Women's World Cup final. So in 99, wow. it was the Women's World Cup final in America and uh, they flew us up to California. It sounds all very glamorous. <laughs> it does. Yeah, well, at this time I, I'd made my debut for England at 16 and so was getting flown back pretty much every month to, you know, go to training camps, play games. Yeah. And I remember 99 going to the World Cup final and was like, it kind of twigged. I was like, these are actually my peers who I'm seeing, 90,000 people at the Rose Bowl in California. And there's like Brandy Chastain, Mia Hamm, kind of iconic names in America. I was yeah. like, these are players who I want to play against. You know, I play for England. These play for the US. They're yeah. playing the World Cup. I've never got, we've never got anywhere near a World Cup. Um, and that moment was like, right, we need to get our ass in gear. If we're going to be looking like them for a start physically, yeah. we I want the same benefits that they're getting. I want to be seen on TV. I want to be famous for being a footballer. And I think there was a couple of us, me and Kelly Smith, who were both at uni in America at that time, both playing young players on the English national team and kind of came back to England. We're like, right, 
you know, we need to get our stuff together as a national team, as individuals. And I think from that moment forwards, recognising where the US women's national team were, where we were, like, really just kind of not getting anywhere, not making championships. Um, and we wanted that. We knew that we could be good enough. Um, and we kind of pushed. We kept asking questions at the FA. We kept, you know, all the, the old men who'd come on tour with us would be like, hold on, like, why, why are you fine first class and we're all in economy? <laughs> you know, like, why, like, why are we kind of getting £10 a day for playing for England? Um, and, you know, they're millionaires. Asking all those questions, making them feel uncomfortable because that was where we were at. We needed to kind of ruffle some feathers. So I think my experience, not to ramble on too much, but my experience in America was after after two years, I transferred and I, I moved up to University of Pittsburgh up in the northeast, which was big city, loads of different cultures, loads of different backgrounds. And it was all kind of everyone sort of lived in unity yeah. and it felt like much more like the modern age. Um, <laughs> so I was much happier up there. Um but my experience overall of living in America and having felt that level of professionalism and understanding the drive that all these players had was to, you know, go on and play for the US Women's National Team and how yeah. how kind of prestigious that was because there was no real prestige to playing for England in fr from a kind of recognition point of view yeah. at, at that period of time. So that really gave that burner inside to want to drive women's football to the levels of professionalism to no because I knew how hard I worked on a day-to-day -day basis um to get to the levels I did um and I wanted you know our sport to get some recognition for that so going back to my journey I, I'd want to do my degree because I knew I needed a career alongside football I did a sports science degree when I came back from America um I decided to go back to uni and qualified as a teacher so I came back and lived in Liverpool, played for Everton, went to John Moores University and did three years to qualify as a, as a postgraduate uh, to qualify as a secondary school teacher. Because, yeah. again, it still wasn't at the level where I could just play football. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I quite like the chaos of juggling, you know, a few things and having a very busy uh, daily life. Uh, I would got used to that and I kind of I didn't really just want to do one thing. So uh, I've always sort of enjoyed that chaos of juggling, juggling things. Uh, and then when it came to kind of thinking, you know, I'm ready to, to finish football. Uh, I'd been married for a couple of years at that point and we talked about, you know, having a family and that seemed the natural step. And we were lucky enough that uh, after football, um, we were having children straight away, which is, was unbelievable. So I've never kind of had time to just, you know, uh, really worry about, not being hectic and, and life after football because it just happened straight away. Uh, yeah. And again, similarly, I was lucky that um, when I did finish football, I got asked to do some media stuff straight away um, with the Women's World Cup was just around the corner in 2015 and I'd played in qualifiers, but was I'd finished football then. So covered the Women's uh, World Cup for the BBC um, that summer yeah. after I'd finished and... Uh, and really enjoyed it. You know, it was it was as all-consuming as football had been, except I didn't have to kick a ball, which uh, <laughs> was kind of the stage I was at. And uh, and from that kind of experience that I was uh, that I enjoyed of being involved in the media side, I thought, you know what, this this is perfect. If I could go to games or cover some and uh, cover some games, it gives me the free time to to have with you know my my little baby. And um, 
and really it's been a match made in heaven uh, ever since. Yeah. It's still my, my foot in the door in the football world, which, yeah. you know, it's all I've known, it's all I've done, it's been my identity as a human being, as being Rachel a footballer. Um, it keeps you in touch, keeps you in touch with the game. Well, if you to cut off that, you know, what are you? You're Rachel, the ex-footballer, and really, how long can you kind of do that for? You know, <laughs> without, you know, that becoming really old. So uh, so I've been thankful that I've got that, but I re- recognise also, not blowing my own trumpet, but I recognise that I've worked my ass off as well to be in that yeah. position. Uh, and so I feel really proud of being able to do the media work because women's football is getting so much more spotlight on it than ever before. And yeah. I feel really proud that I've worked myself into a position where I've been able to cover that and to do women's football justice, hopefully. It's credit to, to who you are as an individual. You talk about that graft, that self-belief, that kind of having the intuition to chase it yourself. And I think for those that are listening who have aspirations to work in the in the women's game, whether it's as a player or in punditry or as a sports analysis, you know, we're, we're fortunate now that there are different facets of the game that people can can get into. What what would you say to to A, those that are listening and are thinking, I, I want to be part of the game, not sure how, what kind of advice would you be giving them? And also another question is, you know, you've, you've looked back over your career and, and you are where you are now. And I want to, wanted to know if there was any advice you would kind of give your younger self in, in hindsight, because, you know, hindsight is you know, it's a wonderful thing when you can look back. But are there things that kind of you probably would have benefited from knowing or, or doing um, now that you're in the position that you are? I think um, for me, I never lost my sense of adventure. Um, and I always, you know, I feel like opportunities come your way, but that it, that's not that's not the reality of it. the The way that you conduct yourself on a on a chance meeting or networking opportunity, and and you know, the age of thirteen, fourteen, you don't think of it as a networking opportunity, but it's only on <laughs> reflection you sort of think, oh, you know, that's that's where I met someone, and actually, that's where you know that opportunity later down the line came from. Um, yeah. I think. Firstly, don't lose your sense of adventure. You know, think of of every day is an opportunity. Every day could be is the making of a new opportunity. Um, that is absolutely has always been my. Um, it wasn't a philosophy that I reckon I knew, but I know now that is part of my character. Um, yeah. Seeking out new opportunities is just something I thrive on. If I'm given a job. Two, two jobs and one of them something I've never done before one of one of them is something I've done a hundred times and I, I know I'll do well I'll choose the one that I've never done before just because that's my nature um <laughs> but I think that's great because you you broaden your sense of who you are you broaden your skill sets um and you meet new people and challenge yourself as well you, 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 you're out of your comfort zone and that's where sometimes the best bit of yourself comes out when you're being pushed in that hundred percent and you do you create your own opportunities by having that sense of adventure that sense of not standing still so that's certainly one thing um and the second thing I th- i've forgotten actually <laughs> what would you tell your younger self now that you are where you are, is there advice that you probably would have benefited from? Um, I don't think I'd have done anything different because I feel like I was brave so many times. And I think from a, a young age, my, I was fortunate that my parents were like, you can do it. You know, you, they didn't 
necessarily verbally say that, but they were there um, as like a, a safety platform, or a safety blanket. If something went wrong, I knew that, you know, I'd, they, they were there. I was lucky that I had that. Um, and, you know, I was able, they gave me the, the opportunity to, to explore, uh, to kind of express myself. I mean, there was no other young girls playing football when I was playing, you know, but they just thought, they were like, oh, it makes you happy, go for it. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, and, and I do know that I've got a very selective memory. So I can imagine that years ago, there probably were people who said, oh, you shouldn't play football or like, you know, negative things trying to stop me playing. But I do know that my selective memory will have, they're, they're in the delete, the trash trash bin um, <laughs> of my compu- of my brain's computer. Um, and I think that's helped in goalkeeping uh, and in life, you know, get over a mistake, get over a negative comment. I very much live in the present. I, th- yeah. I, I concentrate all my energies on what I can do right now. I don't worry yes. about what's happened in the past. I don't worry too much about the future. But I think if you kind of focus on the here and now, that will kind of pave the way for the future. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's that's really, really important. Um, so having that sense of adventure, I think I don't think I ever said no to stuff, you know, new opportunities in the past. Um, now you can be a little bit more selective. Now you've kind of covered a lot of ground. You you recognise there's some things that you might not want to pursue, but there's a whole kind of uh, range of things that, you know, I want to learn more about. Um, yeah. But new opportunities, never say no to those um, because you never know where they'll lead you. That That's really a key one. Um, I've always led by control the controllables and that's about being in the present, the here and the now and not worrying about stuff you can't do anything about. Um, and concern yourself only with the things that you can do something about. That is a massive, massive one. And I still live by that literally every single day. Um, you know, if I'm late with the kids, I'm thinking, right, I'm, oh my God, I'm going to be late with the kids for school. I'm like, okay, breathe. Can I do anything about it? No. no. Okay. <laughs> and so it's so going to be late for school. And, and you know, I've never, they've never been late for school. And so I just sort of, you know, breathe, take stock of the situation and um and you know things look after themselves uh so i think that's controlling the controllables and never losing your sense of adventure i think uh, are two key things that have stood me in good stead things have not always gone right by the way like by a long means but i've learned i've always learned stuff whether they've gone right or they've gone wrong and and reflect on on your journey yeah and that's sound advice control the controllables actually is is a quote that I have in my bedroom above above my one of my um, wardrobes because I'm very much of that sense of naturally trying to worry about okay what's going to happen in the future and I've made a mistake but actually just being in that moment and saying right what can I do what can't I do what can I change what can't I change I can't change other people's opinions of me but I can I can take on self improvement and when that situation comes again be better and I think that's you know. This is sound advice for for everyone listening, whether you're into football or not. It's just to take that opportunity to just be 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 still and say, right, this is what I can impact. This is what I can change. Um, so yeah, great advice. We're wrapping up and and kind of heading towards it, the end of of this chat, which has been awesome for me, and I hope it's been enjoyable for you. And I just, you know, from the beginning of this conversation, thinking about where you were with Burnley and where. Burnley are trying to head now with professionalising the game, with having an affiliate with the men's team. How exciting is that for you, being someone that is 
local to the town and, and, and has that kind of um, affiliation with the club. How exciting are these plans that, that we have got to kind of qualify for the top flight of women's football uh, in the near future? Yeah, it was always something that, you know, in the past I was like, I, I know Burnley have had a fantastic youth set up for a long, long time. Um, and I think that initially ran through the community programme. And then I actually worked at UCFB when it was first uh, implemented at Burnley Football Club. So I worked there for about three years uh, when it first got going with its first intake of about 30 pupils and then to where it's grown now. Uh, and so just to go back to what you said before, thinking about all the opportunities there are in football from the likes of the job that you do to the job that I do currently, there are thousands of jobs in football. Yeah. Um, and just to quickly reflect on that, just because someone, you've not seen someone who looks like you do that job, that does not mean you can't do it. If you find your passion um, in whatever industry, but if you love football and then you're passionate and good it's something alongside that, whether it's numbers, whether it's talking, whether it's um, whether it's uh, the kind of marketing side, do it. Just go for it. Have that self-belief to do it. Um, and don't worry about, you know, if it's not been done before, even better. Go for it even harder. Um, yeah. But with regards to the plans uh, that Burnley have got, uh, it, it's fantastic. Um, you know, I was I was always secretly hoping that Burnley would finally do it, would finally kind of get a women's team that is officially affiliated with the club. And I'm glad I've been quite patient with it rather than getting angry on social media and be like, why have we not got a team? And and I know we've had a women's team for a long time, but to be finally kind of under the wing of Burnley Football Club uh, and to have strategic plans put in place for betterment of it, um, to have a fully professional women's team would be absolutely, you know... It would be like a dream for me, you know, if I'd be so proud having a young daughter who's now six to be like, look, you know, where grandma and granddad live and where I grew up, you can be a professional footballer now. Um, it's it's what I would have loved to have had as a dream growing up. Um, and I'm glad that it's here. Again, I always go to controlling the control balls. Don't worry about what's not happened in the past. Let's look at where we are now. And for Burnley FC women, it's a fantastic opportunity, a great start, starting point for the club. Um, and there's so many opportunities uh, in our region. We've got a great thirst and hunger for, for football. Um, we've got yeah. so many fans following the club. Uh, and as you said right at the beginning of this, it's at the heart of Burnley uh, is the football club. And that's not yeah. just for, for um, you know, for men. That's for absolutely anyone, for for we you know we have a huge Asian Asian population in in the town and you know I would love to get more and more young Asian girls involved in football um yeah. to see it as a career opportunity now and to to know and understand the the joy and the experiences that I've had free football I would want that for for you know for anyone to kind of give them a visual of what you can get from football not just and I don't mean financially I mean it's given me the whole infrastructure of who I am and what my journey's been so far and what my journey will be moving forward has come from football. And it yeah. makes me smile every time thinking about that. Yeah, and I love that because I feel very much the same. I think about, you know, every kind of memory that I have that's connected to something positive, milestones in my life. I look back and think it it has something to do with football. Some way or another, it's, it's connected to, to the love of the game. And that's why... I personally believe it is the best best sport in the world to be involved in, and uh, it 
should be and we want it to be accessible for everyone and that is something that as a club we're definitely committed to um, particularly with the women's team to just draw draw in the best talent and draw in people that feel affiliated with Burnley and make sure that when they come that they're here to stay that they feel welcome and that there's a place reserved for them um, we have a last question that we ask all of our viewers and, and, and participants and hosts and people that come on and guests and the question is if you could play Wembley doubles with any player, past, present, upcoming, who would it be and why? Well, if you mean like who's my favourite player, if that's what you mean, <clears throat> um, then I I love Marlon Beresford. He was sort of like my goalkeeping, you know, when I was a teenager and was going to watch Burnley because that's my mum and dad kind of got the bug as well and we started to go watch Burnley regularly. He's sort yeah. of a, a player where you would sing for you know, half an hour after the game had finished, um, you'd sing, oh, Burris fit, oh, Burris fit. And, um, you know, he was just a player that you kind of, everyone loved. Uh, so him, and I reckon I could go toe to him, toe to toe with him as a goalkeeper as well now. Um, but, you know, it's it's exciting seeing what Sean Dyche has done and some of the young talent, young players. Dwight McNeil's like such an exciting player. And I think since he's come in and played so many minutes, he's become a really grounded, humble, understated player. Um, yeah. He's just got on with it and got on with the hard work that's required from Sean Dyche. So I think I'd take him on as my sidekick at Wembley. Nice. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure um, speaking with you, learning about your experience, getting an insight into kind of where you began, where you are. And we're just really excited about what the future holds and um, wish you all the very best. And we will definitely be in touch soon. So thank you very much. Thanks. Well, I'm very proud of, of uh, Burnley Football Club, of uh, the women's team as well, all the work that you are doing, uh, that everybody's doing to keep growing the club as a whole. Uh, because I say Burnley Football Club, it's not Burnley Football Club and Burnley Football Club women. It is one club and that's what I'm most proud of. <laughs>